to tell you a story. Last week, uh, you know, we talked about our worldview, and we talked about the fact that that worldview comes from the accumulation of the knowledge we have and the wisdom that we gain from that knowledge and from our experiences in life. Now, there's a difference between knowledge and wisdom. Knowledge is information that you gather and collect and store. Wisdom is the good sense to know how to use that knowledge and then to throw some of that knowledge out because it's not good knowledge. But after the service was over, I got a text message from one of our members, Pat Sora. She's not able to come to church for health reasons, but she watches online every week. And she said, knowledge is knowing that a tomato is a fruit. Wisdom is knowing not to put it in a fruit salad. (laughs) I thought that was pretty cool. And so that's a good way to explain the difference between knowledge and wisdom. You know, our world is full of knowledge. Do you know how much knowledge is out there? I mean, do you want to know something about something? Google it. The knowledge is there. You can get it. You can know everything about anything anymore. At least you can know something about everything anymore. And and there's just this knowledge that's floating around everywhere we turn. In fact, it's coming to us at such a fast pace. It is amazing. But that doesn't mean we have wisdom. You think about what today is, 9-11, what that means to our country. There are some people that had some knowledge, but they weren't very wise when they flew planes into our buildings, into uh, four sites on, in our country uh, years ago. And we continue to pray for those families that were affected by that and for our country. And we pray for people that would think that that is okay and that's what God would want anybody to do. Because we want them to know the God we know, right? The one true God, the God that would never have somebody to do something like that. Um, But thinking about knowledge, you know how fast knowledge is coming at us? Listen to these numbers. Every day, 2.5 quintillion bytes of data are created on the internet. 2.5 quintillion. You know how much a quintillion is? Anybody know that? A one followed by 18 zeros. I can't even think in those kind of numbers. And then you got... You got the internet. There's 7 billion humans that use the internet. Uh, Google, of course, is the leading processor. Uh, 40,000 searches every second. 40,000. That's 3.5 billion a day. 77% of all searches are done through Google. And then you got social media, all the Snapchat and LinkedIn and Twitter and Instagram, Facebook. 32 billion people every day use Facebook. I mean, the data is just, it, it's there. It's rolling in like crazy. But just because we have data and we have knowledge does not mean we have wisdom. And wisdom is so important. And there is one piece of wisdom that I think is the most important piece of wisdom that we could ever have. And that is to know God and His Son, Jesus Christ. There's a prayer in John chapter 17 that says, um, Now this is eternal life, 
to know the one true God in Jesus Christ, His Son. And that's what I want us to think about today, is knowing Jesus Christ. We continue our series called Why? And the question today has to do with Jesus and following Him. And so, uh, you know, I, I raised this question today. Uh, why should we follow Jesus as the only way to God? Why should we do that? I mean, you think about it for just a minute. If I'm just a reasonably good person, if I just, you know, try not to steal and, and I don't lie and I don't cheat anybody and I don't kill anybody and don't try to run anybody over with my car, try to obey the laws and stuff, isn't that good enough for God? God isn't God just looking for us to be, you know, good people, try to help other people, give to the charities and those kind of things? And so if I do that and I do more good than I do bad, then I'm going to be okay with God and I'm going to get to heaven when I die. Is that right? Is that what God wants? You know, God wants you to be good now. I'm not going to dis he doesn't want you to be bad. He wants you to be good. But that won't get us into heaven because good does not cancel out the bad that we've done. And so that leads us to this person that we're going to think about today and, and what he wants for our lives. And so we've we got to we got to come to grips with who Jesus is. There's all these world religions, and a lot of the world religions kind of teach that philosophy I was talking about. It's just about what you do. You know, here's a chart with all the different symbols. I don't know why they put Christianity as second there, uh, but they got Judaism at the top. But these symbols for many of the world religions, there's, of course, the big five religions, Hindu, Buddhism, Judaism, Christianity, and Islam. There are several other religions represented on this chart up here. Christianity is by far there are more people who claim to be Christians in the world than any other religion. 2.38 billion people claim to be followers of Christ. 1.91 are Islam, uh, Hinduism 1.16, Buddhism 507 million. <clears throat> Other religions, 61 million people in the other religions. Judaism, 14.6 million people. Unaffiliated people, people that don't claim any religion, 1.19 billion. That all makes up the more than 7 billion people that we have in this world. So, you know, about one-fourth of the people, a little more than that, claim to be followers of Jesus Christ. But this book that we have here says he's the only way to really get to God. So we need to understand that. Why does it make those claims? Why does it say that Jesus is the way? Why follow Jesus? Let's turn to John chapter 8 today. In John chapter 8, of course, all the books are inspired by God, but God used humans to write them. John is one of Jesus' closest companions uh, he is uh, one of the apostles that Jesus appointed to go share the message. Uh, many people say John is a, is a good book for a new believer to start reading, to come to understand who Jesus is. Remember, Jesus was born into a Jewish family. He, had a, um, he lived in and around uh, the Jerusalem area and in Galilee. 
and he ministered in those areas. He also ministered in Samaria, where there were no Jews, but he primarily ministered to the Jewish people. He became a very popular figure as he began his ministry, but he also became very controversial because he taught some things that the Jewish leaders said were counter to what they believed to be true. And this, this caused a little rift between Jesus and some of the leaders. Of course, Jesus was teaching the truth, and these leaders were teaching from their own traditions often. And Jesus drew these big crowds, and I'm sure that there was some jealousy and there was concern on the parts of these Jewish leaders. And so we pick up this text today where Jesus is addressing them, and they are addressing him about some of the problems that they have. And we begin in John chapter 8, verse 12. When Jesus spoke again to the people, he said, I am the light of the world. Whoever follows me will never walk in darkness, but will have the light of life. Now when Jesus spoke that, the leaders knew that metaphorically speaking, he was talking about light and darkness. And light was the way of God, and darkness was the way of Satan. You know, if you go the way of God, you're going to have a better life. If you go the way of Satan, you're going to have a worse life. Now people say, wait a minute, I know people that are enjoying their life and they're not following God. They're having a great life. Well, you know, the Bible even acknowledges that you can follow Satan a little bit and have, uh, have uh, a good life. But what I want you to see is Jesus lights the way for the life that God wants for us. This difference between light and darkness. You know, Hebrews 11.25 says that uh, about following Satan's way, you can enjoy the fleeting, um, the fleeting pleasures of sin for a time. You can sin and have a good time. People do it all the time. It always eventually catches up with you and it ends bad. And anytime you sin, it takes you outside the will of God. And Jesus is concerned about that. That's why he wants to be the light that leads us to the right place. He's teaching to these Pharisees or hearing what he's teaching. And he says, I am the light of the world. I'm the one that's going to show you the way to go the right way. It's a profound statement in many ways. And then if you understood the Jewish culture, you would know it's not just talking about light. When Jesus says, I am the light of the world, when he says, I am, he's using the name for God. Go back to Exodus chapter 14. In Exodus chapter 14, Moses was about to lead God's people out of slavery in Egypt. And Moses said, well, if I'm going to go do this, who should I tell them sent me? He didn't know what to call God. And God says, I am who I am. Tell them I am has sent me. God was giving himself a name for Moses to use. In the Hebrew language of the Old Testament, it's the word Yahweh. You may have heard that. That's... God's name in Hebrew, it means I am. So holy did the Jewish people find that name that they wouldn't write it or they wouldn't say it. They would put something else in its place, referring to God. In the Greek, it's the word ego eimi. That's not a waffle now. Uh, Jesus not not calling himself a waffle, but it's ego eimi. I am. 
And it's in the emphatic tense, which means it's emphasized. It's like the way we would emphasize that, we'd put a line under it. Jesus is like saying, underline this, I am the light of the world. Jesus is saying he's God. And we learned a few weeks ago in our study that he is God. John 1.1 says the Word was with God and the Word was God and the Word became flesh. And so Jesus is... These guys that Jesus that are confronting Jesus, they understood that. They understood the claim that Jesus was making when he said, I am the light of the world. Jesus, in fact, in, in the book of John, he records seven I am statements. I am the bread of life, Jesus said. I am the light of the world here. I am the gate, the way. I am the good shepherd. I am the resurrection and the life. I am the way and the truth and the life, he said. I am the true vine, Jesus said. He claimed to be God, and he was God. And the light part comes in when he shows us the way to God. He shows us who God is. He shows us the benefits of being part of the family of God, being part of the kingdom of God. And by following and believing in Jesus, we become part of this family and we find the way, the path to God. That's what Jesus is saying. I am God, and I'm going to show you the way. So, Jesus is light, and he's the light of the world. He's for everybody. Not just some of us. He wants everybody to come to him. Now, let's move on. Verse 13. The Pharisees challenged him, Here you are, appearing as your own witness. Your testimony is not valid. Jesus answered, Even if I testify on my own behalf, my testimony is valid, for I know where I come from and where I'm going. But you have no idea where I come from or where I'm going. You judge by human standards. I pass judgment on no one. But if I do judge, my decisions are true because I'm not alone. I stand with the Father who sent me. In your own law, it is written that the testimony of two witnesses is true. I am the one who testifies for myself, and my other witness is the Father who sent me. Now, let's stop again and unpack this. Jesus has testimony that confirms who he is. You know, the Pharisees were questioning his validity because he was testifying about himself. And they're saying, you know, that don't count. Now, in a court, in Jewish culture, you had to have two or three witnesses, according to Deuteronomy 17.6 and 19.15. Uh, you had two or three witnesses to convict somebody, especially of murder. Jesus hadn't committed murder. But the truth is, what Jesus is countering their claim there, is he's saying, you don't know where I'm from. You're not a witness to me. You don't have a clue where I'm from. If you go back and read John 9, 29, they in fact said that. We don't know where this fellow's from. We don't know who he is or why he's here. They had no clue. So Jesus' testimony about himself, he knows where he came from. It's more valid than their testimony. That's the point he was trying to make. 
And he says, you got the wrong view. You're thinking about this from a worldly view. You're not connecting with God and letting the Spirit lie to you. You're judging by human standards. That's his word. And Jesus says, if you're judging by God's standards, you would know I'm a witness and my Father is a witness. My Heavenly Father. That's the two witnesses needed. In fact, there are even more witnesses than that. If you turn back just a couple of chapters to chapter 5 in John, listen to what Jesus said. Chapter 5, verse 31. If I testify about myself, my testimony is not true. Now, Jesus is just saying what the Pharisees were thinking, that the testimony is not true. He knows his testimony is true, and he is testifying that he is who he says he is. But listen to what he says now in verse 32. There is another who testifies in my favor, and I know that his testimony about me is true. You have sent to John, and he has testified to the truth. Not that I accept human testimony, but I mention it that you may be saved. Now look at this. These guys are coming against him, but he's concerned about their salvation. He wants them to know the truth. John was a lamp that burned and gave light, and you chose for a time to enjoy his light. Of course, John got put to death. He's talking about John the Baptist. That's a second witness. Jesus is a witness. John is a witness. Verse 36, I have testimony weightier than that of John. For the works that the Father has given me to finish, and the very works that I am doing, testify that the Father has sent me. Now think about the works that he's talking about. One of those works is going to be going to die on the cross. That's yet to be finished when Jesus is speaking. But the other is the preaching, the teaching, the healing, and the ministry that he did, and the miracles. You know, the miracles alone should have been enough testimony to say, well, this dude is from God. Look at what he did. Look at the power in his teaching and these Jewish leaders should have recognized that. But they were so steeped in their own traditions, their own ideas, they couldn't see the Son of God standing right in front of them. Then he says, in verse 37, And the Father who sent me himself testified concerning me. You have never heard his voice, nor seen, nor seen his form, nor does his word dwell in you, for you do not believe in the one he sent. Now, Jesus is speaking to those Pharisees, and he's saying, you, you're not hearing God. You're not listening. If you were, you'd know who I am. The disciples that were following him, the apostles, when Jesus was baptized, he came up out of the water, they heard the voice of God, and God said to them, this is my son in whom I am well pleased. The voice of God. And then lastly, Jesus says to them, you study the Scripture diligently because you think that in them you have eternal life. These are the very Scriptures that testify about me, yet you refuse to come to me and have life. See, there in the Old Testament, the, the Bible of the Pharisees, there are over 300 prophecies that point to Jesus as being the Christ the Son of God. They knew those prophecies, but they failed to apply it to Jesus and see that He was the one. 
You see, there is witness that Jesus is who he says he is. You know, a person's witness, everybody has a witness. You know, how you behave in public, people look at you and people make judgments. You know, they talk about you behind your back, right? They'll either say, that guy's a jerk. Or they'll say, that dude's pretty good. He's a good guy, you know? Depending on how you behave. I heard about this uh, police officer pulled this woman over. She rolled the window down. He said, ma'am, I need to see your license and registration. He said, she said, well, what's wrong? I didn't run a red light. Didn't run through a stop sign. I wasn't speeding. What's wrong? He said, well, ma'am, I need to see your license and registration. She said, well, why? He said, well, first of all, I watched you, and you scooted around somebody who was going slow, and you shook your fist at them. Then a little bit further, I went down through it, and somebody pulled in front of you by accident, and you screamed out the window at them. And then you went a little bit further, and somebody put on their brakes, and you were banging on your steering wheel because they, they made you stop. And he said, then I looked and I saw a bumper sticker on the back of your car and it said, Jesus loves you and so do I. And I thought, that car must belong to a Christian, but that's not a Christian driving it. I think that car is stolen. So I just want to verify, ma'am, that this is your car. You know, we all have a witness. But those Pharisees should have seen Jesus' witness. They should have seen who he was and what he had come to do. And they should know that he was the one that God had sent. Let's move on. Verse 19. Then they asked him, where is your father? You know, Jesus said, my father is a witness. Well, where is your father? You do not know me or my father, Jesus replied. If you knew me, you would know my father also. You know, the question that the Pharisees asked is kind of puzzling. Did they realize he was talking about his heavenly father? Did they think he was talking about his earthly father? You know, there were rumors spread about Jesus uh, that he was an illegitimate child, that Joseph was really not his father. And that is true. Joseph was not. God is his father. Mary was his earthly mother. God was his father. Joseph was his stepfather, so to speak. So there were these rumors. Well, Jesus, where is your father? Huh, we got you. You're illegitimate. You don't even know who your father... But Jesus did know who his father was. But what I want you to see here is that Jesus reveals knowledge of God that leads to a real relationship. If you knew me, you would know my Father also. God, of course, is the Father he's talking about. And you see, Jesus makes him available to us. That we can really know who he is. In John 14, 6, Jesus said, I am the way and the truth and the life, and no one comes to the Father except through me. No one. Colossians 2.9 For in Christ all the fullness of the deity lives in bodily form and in Christ you have been brought to fullness. Only in Christ can we know the fullness of who God is because he's the only one that is God in the flesh. Muhammad never claimed to be God. Buddha never claimed to be God. 
They just said, well, we can tell you a little bit about him. We can give you some rules to follow that will probably help you get to God a little better. But we're not God. But Jesus said, I am God. And Jesus was God. You know, you go all the way back in the Old Testament. And God revealed himself to Abraham. And they had this relationship. God spoke verbally to Abraham. Now, I can't imagine being in the presence of God like that. But God spoke to Abraham. So powerful it was, Abraham packed up and left his home and went on a promise that he was going to receive some land. But you know what? In James 2.23, uh, it says about Abraham, he was called God's friend. That's the kind of relationship that he had. That's the kind of intimacy that he had with God. That's the kind of intimacy that God wants to have with all of us. But you know what the Jewish people did? They took that intimacy and they focused more, instead of a relationship with God, they focused on the law of Moses and they turned it into a list of rules and traditions and ceremonies that they thought was going to get them to God rather than developing the relationship and the friendship. You know what God said was the number one rule, the number one command? Love Him. Love me, He said. Love the Lord your God with all your heart and soul and mind and strength. It's the number one thing. If we, if we don't get any knowledge, we should get that. And then you take that knowledge and apply wisdom and say, how do I spend the rest of my life seeking God, knowing Him, loving Him? In that phrase, love the Lord your God, love is a verb. You know what a verb is, right? You learned that in like third grade. It's an action word. It's something that you do. And so what we do is we apply that to our lives and we... We actually do things that show God we love Him. We serve Him. We worship Him. We follow Jesus. It's, how, it's about how we act toward Him. We live in such a way that we bring glory and honor to Jesus. You know what that does? That spills over into our lives. Because the second command was love your neighbor. And if you're showing love to God, it spills over so that you naturally become loving to the people around you. But you know what? Jesus came to show us something. God gave the Hebrew people the law of Moses. And part of that was, it was a perfect standard for them to live up to. Guess what? They couldn't do it. Over time, they began to realize, well, immediately they did because there was a sacrificial system. And every time you mess up, Junior, go get another lamb. Dad made a sin. we got to go to the temple and sacrifice a lamb. And they began to realize, we can't keep this law. We need a Savior. We need somebody to save us. We need somebody to help us. And that's when, in the fullness, God sent Jesus to be the perfect sacrifice once for all, that by believing in Him, it would cover your sins for eternity. But you've got to follow him. That's the point. And God used Judaism to lead people to Christ. You know what? Other religions teach a set of rules and traditions and ceremonies that you go through, and you can't keep them either. And maybe he can use those other religions to 
people hear our message and know it's not about what you do, it's about who you know. And it's about knowing Jesus Christ. And He's got the knowledge to show us God. I have a, a friend, well, I had a friend. His name was Dr. Dale Willis. He was my dentist. He played golf with us on Fridays many times the two years before he passed away. He was in a skiing accident some years ago. Now, when I went to Dale's office, I called him Dr. Willis. But when I was on the golf course, I called him Dale. Okay? Professional setting, leisure setting, enjoy. I was talking to one of our youth ministers a few years ago, and when I refer to the Lord, I usually refer to him as Jesus. And um, this youth minister always referred to the Lord as Christ. And so he challenged me one day, why do you call him Jesus? He's, he's the Christ. We should, we should call him. That's what he is. He is, he is the king. We should refer to him that way. And I said, well, Scott, I'll tell you, I'm on a first-name basis with it myself. <laughs> now, Christ is not his name. It's who he is. It's, it's what he is. He is the Messiah. He is the anointed one. He is the king. But Jesus is his name. And did you know you can be on a first-name basis with Jesus? That you can be a friend to Jesus? If you go over to um, John chapter 14, I want to show you how close you can be to Jesus. Of course, in John 14, 6, he said, I am the way and the truth and the life. And if you drop down to verse 10, Jesus says, Don't you believe that I am in the Father and the Father is in me? The words I say to you, I do not speak of my own authority, but rather it is the Father living in me doing this work. Believe me when I say, I am in the Father, and the Father is in me. Now if you drop down to verse 20 there in John 14, realize that I am in my Father, and you are in me, and I am in you. Now we've got some, a chart up here to think about that. Believers are in the Son, and they are in the Father. But also this text says that the Father is in the Son, and the Son is in the believers. So if you are a believer, a follower, you have the Son in you, and the Father is in the Son, so you've got the Father in you, and you are in Him. It's just you and God and Jesus all over each other. Okay? In fact, Jesus said in John 15, 15 to his disciples, I no longer call you servants because a servant does not know his master's business and said, I have called you friends. That's how close you can be to Jesus. That's how close he wants you to be to Jesus. All the world religions are about what you do. But the Christian faith is about who you know. And Jesus wants to know us intimately, closely. And here's our connection point. 
Well, let's read verse 20 first. He spoke these words while teaching in the temple courts near the place where the offerings were put, yet no one seized him because his hour had not yet come. Our connection point. Following Jesus leads us to the one true God who is in control. Now listen, Jesus spoke some hard words to these folks. He claimed, I'm, I am the light of the world. He claimed to be God. He said to them, he challenged their way of thinking. He basically said, you guys don't even know God. Yet it says here in the text, they did not seize him. They wanted to. Throughout the book of John, we read that they were trying to get him. They were trying to arrest him. They finally did. They, they wanted him stopped because of what he was teaching. Why did they not seize him? They couldn't. Something stopped them. It's God, and God is in control of what goes on. That's just more proof that Jesus is who he says he is. So I want to say to you today, follow Jesus. Why follow Jesus? Because he's the light. And he's got the testimony. And he's got the knowledge of who God is. And you know what? When you follow Jesus, you will be the light. And you will have the testimony. And you will have the knowledge of God. Let's pray. Father, we thank you today for Jesus. Lord, he, he, you, you sent him. It was your idea. You brought him down here to reveal some things to us, to be the light. Testimony confirms that he's who you set him up to be. And he reveals to us the knowledge of you so that in following Jesus, it leads us right to you. And in following Jesus, we do love the Lord our God with all of our heart and soul and mind and strength. And so we pray that you help us to be those people, the people of Jesus that follow him. And it's in his strong, mighty name that we pray and praise today. Amen.